You are listening to the Two Chumps Football Podcast with Chad Wilson and Amo Calamino, sponsored by Bovada Sportsbook, the leading online sportsbook for all of your wagering needs. If you're a football nut like the two of us, then consider yourself a chump and realize that you're in the right place. Straight up no-nonsense football talk on a weekly basis. Now let's go tackle the issues. Welcome to the Two Chumps Football Podcast. He's Amo Calamino. I'm Chad Wilson. It's the Super Bowl 58 edition of the Two Chumps Football Podcast as we bring all of this to a crescendo. The college season's over, the NFL season, um, all 52 weeks of it is coming <laughs> to an end on this very Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday, what all of you have been waiting for. Is it that? I mean, are we, Amal, are we really waiting for Super Bowl Sunday or have the, you know, for the pure football fans out there, is it more the AFC and NFC championship game? That's more of a bigger thing for us. I don't know. I, 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 I mean, I love, the Super Bowl is the Super Bowl. <laughs> why, why would, you know, I get excited for it. Yeah. I'm just, uh, I'm just wondering if that's uh, the Super Bowl is for the tourist and the, uh, <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. And, and this, the championship games are the countryside where you really got out and whatever. And I'm probably saying that because there've been so many blowouts in those Super Bowl games that, you know. Yeah, but I mean, that's really not been the case lately. No, no. Huh. We've had them in our day. And so Emily and I are going to take a ride through some Super Bowls past by asking uh, some questions in terms of favorites. I think you guys will find some fun in that. And then, of course, we'll break down the Super Bowl 58 matchup between the Chiefs and the 49ers and give our picks on uh, who who we think is going to triumph in this thing and raise yeah. the trophy again. Will it be um, Patrick Mahomes, who would now throw himself into the GOAT conversation, or is it the Mr. Irrelevant guy that people have tried to, quote-unquote, take a piss on all year, the game manager? <laughs> Uh, from the San Francisco 49ers, and will Cal, Kyle Shanahan grab his elusive Super Bowl trophy? Uh, we will talk about that coming up here on the show. Of course, there's always our sponsor, Bovada Sportsbook. This is their time of year, obviously. It, there's the Super Bowl for the fans out there, and then there's the Super Bowl for all of these sports books out here. And if you're going to play online, that's definitely the number one place for you to go to. Bovada's been in the business for a very long time, and they've done that by having great customer service, being a very solid book with great lines, and just an all-around great place to go and get down on the Super Bowl, NBA action, baseball coming up, whatever it is you want to jump on, safe, trusted Good customer service, great lines. What more could you ask for? So hit the link down in the description of this show, whether you're listening to it or watching it, and check out our sponsor, Bavada, and consider them for your Super Bowl needs. All right, Emil. Uh, Wait a second. You almost sounded like Jim Feist there or something. I did, right? I, that's without reading anything. Can you believe well, yeah, I mean, you were just like you were I got good sleep last night. That's yeah. what that boils down to. Not my normal five-hour deal that I work on and I forget my kids names and my wife's name. <laughs> All right, man, let's, uh, let's, let's get into this thing. Um, we're going to ask about some Super Bowls past, but just in terms of the lead up to this thing, um, you know, every year we get this during the, uh, Super Bowl media week. There's why is there always the little phenom kid. Can you explain that thing to me? The little phenom kid that asks questions that everyone falls in love with. Like, what's that about? What are we doing that? 
That's well, you, you know what? I'm not. A, you bring it to a different point up here that kind of le leads me back. Do you remember for a while they were trying one week? Yes. They had that little. I preferred it that way. That's the way football's played essentially one week. I don't like the two weeks leading up to the Super Bowl. I think it's it's too much hype, too much time off. I wish they finish the championship game, play the Super Bowl. Yeah, if nothing else. Well, you know, this the 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 Pro Bowl has turned into an S show. I don't want to, you know, <laughs> drop a drop the bomb here on this, but it's turned into that. So, you know, it would be good if you could just have that after the Super Bowl the way it's always been and you can have guys in the two best teams who obviously have really good players participate in that. But I guess that's not uh, how that's going to roll. I'm with you. You know, listen, I'm a guy who coached and played football. And there's one thing I hated about uh, football, playing it and coaching it. And that was pregame. I just don't like the I just don't like the waiting. I was a guy that I want to get off the bus. Let's get out there, um, you know, at least get loose, stretched and let's go. I don't need. Well, I couldn't even imagine playing in a game like this. I mean, I, even in high school sports, I didn't high school sports up through American Legion. I didn't like playing games at night. I didn't like waiting, I, especially. Uh, I, I was, I played baseball it was more my game. So like I was a pitcher, so I didn't want to sit around all day. And, you know, I well, to um, I do remember several times having several night games uh, at the university of Miami and we've got to sit in Don Shula hotel uh, resort and man, the 8 PM starts were treacherous because you're there all day, man. You're just sitting around. Your coaches are having meetings just to have them because they don't want you to have too much free time. So you're having meaningless meetings mm -hmm. And then you're watching all these other games and stuff going on. I mean, the biggest, the best moment I could think of that was, yeah, we did get a chance to watch the big, uh, you know, Florida, Florida State, the big comeback game there. So at least we watched that. I mean, you, you mean saying you guys weren't like hanging out at the pool, draining your energy and having pina coladas? I don't think you could get caught by the pool and still play that day. <laughs> And, and it wouldn't even be about coaches, man. It would, it would be another teammate because that was one of the best things about playing at the University of Miami at that time was we policed ourselves. It wasn't fair from a coach. I missed the tackle in my very first Florida State Miami game opening kickoff, missed the tackle on Tamaric Vanover, and he goes 94 yards for a touchdown. Coming off the field, I wasn't worried about coach. I knew the phone was going to ring when I got to the sideline. Meeting me out by the numbers on my way off the field was our one of our defensive linemen called Mark Caesar. Met me out by the numbers, punched me in my chest, damn near grabbed my face mask and said, you know, I can't really repeat what he said. Uh, kids from New Jersey. So you know how that went. Would, was this like a whiff? I mean, if you want to get technical, Vanover's running at me like sideways on the field. So I'm trying to cut him off from the sidelines. Inside of me, and I don't really understand why that was the case, but a guy named Kevin Williams, who was a really great uh, play for the Cowboys. Yes, really great punt return. I don't know why he was a hitter, but also a receiver. So I don't know why he would have been to the inside of me, but he was. So I turned him, tried to turn Vanover inside because there's supposed to be someone inside of me to be right there to make the tackle. So I'm cutting him off from the sidelines where that would have really have been trouble. So as he cut inside, He's cutting hard, and I dove at his legs, and he was kind of out of reach. Kevin Williams had been clipped on the play. Never saw it. We ran it back 100 times the next time 
uh, we were in a meeting on this, I guess the Sunday afterwards. So he's on the ground. He got clipped. And Van Ever went right through that alley, bent it back to the sidelines where I was trying to keep him from. And like from my chest, I'm watching this happen. This guy. Yeah, I, I remember him. Well, anyway, our, kick, our he, kicker tried to make a run over there and kick his legs out. Oh, you mean like a like a baseball slide? type? Like kick? a soccer tap. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which was a penalty and also a failure because he didn't hit any part of them. Scores the touchdown, and yeah, Mark Caesar meets. So you mean me the kicker life. got the kid got a touchdown, and the kicker got fifteen yards on the ensuing kickoff. Yeah, yeah. So well, the fans are probably wondering how we got to Tamaric Vanover on a Super Bowl show. Yeah, we that was a nice little winding road, wasn't? Yeah. It? But no, uh, yeah, Super Bowl week. I can't take the lead up, but there've been some really good quotes to come out of Super Bowl media day, were they not? Yeah, there is. I mean, I, I'm this might be an age thing. Maybe when I was in my twenties, I guess I cared more. I don't really like watching, especially anymore. Cause I feel like there's no takes from people on mainstream legacy television that, that are, are interesting anymore. I think everything's canned. It's a lot of people looking for, you know, they'll say crazy things that you, yeah. you, you know, you're sitting there going either you are the dumbest person in the world, or you can't honestly believe that. Like, uh, yeah, they're bait questions. The Andy Reid, are you going to retire type of deal? I mean, what's he going to say to the question? Well, yeah, I, I, this is it. Yeah, someone thinks they're going to grab a nugget there. I think it's just more maybe they see if they can get this guy to blow up and then I've got something there or whatever the whatever the case may be. I was just hoping that Kadarius Tony would get a couple interviews just, <laughs> just to see, but he's probably banned from any. Yeah, well, yeah, he might be a healthy scratch. We'll see how that goes. We can get you know what? Someone asked a question um, and they put Kadarius Tony will have slash underline catches slash underline yards. Knowing Andy Reid, the kid come out there and get eight for 111 with two touchdowns, one rushing, and just deeped us the whole damn time. I would not be surprised if that's what happened. Yeah, if I was going to bet on it, I would bet he dresses because I I think he's got too much ability to at least not have. Sure. For that and game. if nothing else, man, that kid gets in there, has a couple of electric moments, and if you already have it in your head that you need to part with him, at least maybe you could get something for the guy. I don't know, whatever the case may be. And I'm not sure what's going on with Kadarius Tony. He obviously provided a bunch of great moments as I was going to Florida watching Marco play at Florida. Yeah. The guy was superb. I still don't know how he doesn't have both ACLs repaired because he makes some ridiculous moves. But I would not put it past Andy Reid to get that kid in a game and he touches the ball eight times and has two touches. He had a game a couple of years ago when he was with the Giants against the Cowboys. The Cowboys won the game. I do remember. But like, Tony might have had it. 11 catches for 190 or something like that. If I, look I mean, up. he scored in the Super Bowl last year. So, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think he'll play. So we'll see there. Um, yeah, you know, so that's 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 media day. Um, I guess the biggest media day was, God, was it even media day when Namath predicted the win? He was by a poolside. So I don't even think it was a media day back then. So. Yeah, but, you know, that's another one of those. It becomes famous. But if you really think about it, right, what's your downside? Even even then, especially then, what's your downside? Underdogs, you might as well, you know. If, if Let's say they went out and the Colts killed them. No one would remember it. You would fear for the forgotten it. Now that's so just what? Joe being Joe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, so what? He just, you know, it, it's one of those things where it can only, when you're a 19 or 18 pointer, it can only be good to say yeah. something like that. And I think uh, to this day, that is the biggest spread ever in a Super Bowl. 
Yes, and we have, and I don't know if you remember, uh, do you remember Walt Michaels back in the 80s? I remember the name. Um, Coach the New York Jets. Yes. So him and his brother were local from up here in northeastern Pennsylvania from a town called Sawyersville, which is probably five miles from where I live. Hmm. Walt Michaels played, I believe, for the Cleveland Browns, I want to say in the 50s and 60s, 60s, and then became the coach of the Jets. His brother, Lou, was, a, I think, a defensive lineman and a kicker back then, straight-on kicker. And Lou missed a big field goal early in that game. And the rumor, he, he's since passed away. I mean, he would be in his 90s now, but he was a still a big man later in life. And they, they said, literally, he owned a bar. And if you went in and mentioned that game, you might get skull dragged out of the bar. It's going to be a fight, huh? It's going to be <laughs> right. a bar brawl. Right, right. Um, yeah, definitely very interesting. So, so, Emil, I came up with a couple questions here that I think um, – would be interesting and both for you know our fans out there and if you are watching this show on YouTube I would I would certainly welcome you to give your answers to these questions that both Emil and I are about to you know ask and answer right here um on the show so let's start off with this what was your favorite Super Bowl Emil not because it was a great game if you were just watching it my favorite one was 27 when the Cowboys beat the Bills 52-17. Aikman was the MVP. The Cowboys had, you know, obviously been the Cowboys of the 70s and early 80s. They they had lost the three straight NFC championship games. Then they had that period from like the mid-80s, that five years where Tom Landry got fired, the team got sold, in came Jerry Jones, and here came Jimmy Johnson. You're like, who is this guy? You know, I know he's a good college coach. Right. And, you know, that was the moment they were all the way back. And the game, the other part of it that I love about that game is, Pat, to me, there's not a better setting for a Super Bowl than Pasadena. I agree. Uh, that part I agree. setting usually at that time, especially then. They may have been starting those games at like 5 o'clock Eastern time. or Yeah, so you get that sunset. You get the sun starting and then it would set during the game. Yeah. So to me, that that's, you know, nostalgic, but that's the, that was my favorite one. Yeah, uh, and I, I want to say recently I heard Michael Urban talk about the moment where him and Emmett were coming out for that game. And the and if you know Michael Urban, it just seems like he's a guy that lives life fast and on the edge. I'm not saying anything that's, you know, yeah. new here. But just talking about the amount of nerves both he and Emmett had um, going into that game, it's just like if someone like that could be that shook by that moment, then you, you have an idea of what it's going to be like for a bunch of the guys playing in this game on Sundays, you know, the, especially the ones who are doing this for the very first time. So, um, and I still remember a catch he made early in the game as that sun was still in the sky and setting and eight jump body up. catch with body catch turned and, 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 and dove for the end zone with the ball out one hand. And I still remember seeing the ball, you know, on the high on the replays and highlights spinning in the sun. And it was just something like if that was your team, yeah, you, you just remember that, you know. Very poetic. I remember the moment very well, obviously from Michael, uh, from Michael Urban, obviously a University of Miami alum, but being covered by James Williams. Um Is that a, who's covering him? That's a good a, memory. A cornerback from Fresno State. The only reason I really remember is I really followed Fresno State cornerbacks back then, back in the day. So um, yeah, a really, really great moment. I, you know, it's funny that I agree with you about Pasadena being the place, but my worst Super Bowl, I don't want to say moment, just at evening, afternoon, entire time happened in that stadium. 
because uh, I grew up a Los Angeles Rams fan, and they played the Steelers there um, for the 1979 season. Yes, yes, they did. Right there in that. They were essentially a home team. Essentially a home team, and one of the most picturesque, most um, vivid memories that I have, because um, it is the first Super Bowl that I ever watched, but seeing the replays over and over on NFL films, it's the it's the 80-yard pass from Terry Bradshaw to, to Stallworth, with Pat Thomas hands right here and it going over, but you just see the ball traveling through the Los Angeles mm -hmm. um, night falling at well dusk and falling into his hands. I'm imagining if, if you're a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, it has to be something you probably got that you can pull up anywhere and watch. And that was a hell of a ball game. I mean, you know, the Pittsburgh put Pittsburgh tossed a, a little icing on late to put it away, but that going into the fourth quarter, the Rams had a 1917 lead in that game. I remember the game. Yeah, boy, do I remember. The Rams were a very talented team, and that was kind of uh, – They were actually 9-7, and seven, a wild Yes, run. they were 9-7, and seven, but I was going to say that they were a very talented team. It was a transition period in that – that Rams team kind of changed over then to, like, the early 80s Eric Dickerson Rams. So you had a changing of – you know, Ferragamo was the quarterback. Uh, you know, that was the old guard, Jack Youngblood. Right. Uh, Jackie Slater might have been the tackle on that team. So they had all that was kind of a change. Right. So the old the whole over 50 crowd knows uh that name. Yeah. So the Rams, that was like the end. They were nine and seven that year. And they played uh Tampa Bay, who was only three or four years in the league, and won the I think the only conference championship game in the Super Bowl era without a touchdown. Nine nothing. Nine nothing. Nine nothing. Um, yeah, you know, I remember three Frank Corral field goals but enough with that my favorite super bowl moment though because i don't you know and while i was a ram fan didn't have the pleasure of seeing them win a super bowl but for me amel and people can call me a hater for this but it was the giants um my favorite super bowl game was the giants defeating the undefeated patriots now listen i'm a born new yorker but i can't mm -hmm. sit here and tell you that i was a giants or jets fan growing up obviously a los angeles rams fan but right. you know i don't know if you know this feeling yeah, you might not be a fan of the local team, but there comes a, a time and place where the local team's playing a game and you might, for that one, yeah. really jump on a bat. I did that with the Dolphins here when the undefeated Bears came to town and I wanted to see them knocked off. And boy, did they ever do it with Dan Marino and the guys. But in this game, the Giants knocking off the Patriots because for some reason, Amal, I just didn't want And of course, the Tyree catch, you can't forget in that game. Yeah, yeah, but it's everything that went with it. Oh, yeah. And on the fact that the Giants lost to the Patriots earlier in that, like maybe three, four weeks before that. They lost the last game of the season, I believe. It was 38-28, but they gave the Patriots one of the better games that season. They did. Got lost in that Giants team. You know, they were 10-6 and six that year. They had injuries. They they had a really good team. And and that year they had lost a couple games to my Cowboys. The Cowboys were the number one seed. The Giants knocked off, I forget who it was in the first round, but they came to Dallas in the division round. And Dallas, Dallas had a really good team that year, 13 and 3, 10, 11 Pro Bowlers. And that was a good ball game. Mm -hmm. Giants beat them 21-17. Not good for me. Yeah. And then upset the Packers. I mean, that was a, a the Giants were better than their record that year. Most definitely to 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 run through what they did to get to that end and then beat, you know, which was a team on their way to being the best ever. Um, that was probably the best Super Bowl game for me. All right. How about your best Super Bowl moment? 
and I, we're, I vacillate on this, but, but the one that sticks in my head, and again, you know, you, you, you kind of divorced yourself from the Rams as, as a, as a teenager. So now you just watch football. Just watching the game, man. Just watching the game and enjoying it. So if you're a fan, for me, the history, you know, it runs deep with the Cowboys and Steelers, right? 20, first year we lose them in 75. I'm old enough to remember it. Uh, I was a kid, real little, but I remember Cowboys were a wild card. They got there. Steel, uh, Stallback almost pulled the upset at the end of the game. He was taking shots from the 35 yard line into the Steelers yep. end zone. The Cowboys lost 21 17. Right. Then they come back. Cowboys are defending Super Bowl champs. They beat Denver. They're going for a back to back. You got the Jackie Smith for, for younger fans. Look it up. Cowboys yes. are down the 20. man alive. Yes. Cowboys are down 21 14. Stallback hits him in the chest on a 20 yard pass play. Should have been a touchdown. Drops it 21-17, changes the whole game. Steelers go up 18. Cowboys again catch up. Onside kick, miss it. They lose by four. So the Steelers were a nemesis. Yes. We get to 95, and who is it to basically cap off the Cowboys dynasty? At the time, to be the first team to ever win three Super Bowls in four years. The Patriots mm -hmm. have since duplicated that. Larry Brown. 20 to 17, the game's in the balance. The Steelers are on their own 35 yard line. O'Donnell this guy remembers the yard line they were on. 35 40 yard. O'Donnell goes back to pass. There's a mix up on the route. From what I remember, Charles Haley was about to kill him. He throws the ball. Larry Brown gets a second pick of the game. He didn't score, got it down to the six or seven yard line, but then I knew it's over. Okay, we're not losing this game. I yeah. said, and then the know? joy and the elation. And, you know, there was something about finally getting the Steelers. Right. After they had gotten us. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no doubt about it. Um, I asked Emil this, you know, pre-show, and he was going between that and uh, Buffalo. Um, oh, know. yeah. The, the Norwood, I mean, let's be honest, that that was just, uh, that was just, you felt bad for the guy. I, I actually, I'll tell you, betting story. I had the Giants. The Giants that year made me a lot of money because mm -hmm. I was a big believer in Bill Parcells and Lawrence Taylor. Gotcha. So I had the Giants. That year, the 49ers were going for a three-peat. They had won in 88 and 89. The Giants were catching eight points in the NFC Championship game. Yes. I had them. So I was going to win either way. They stripped, if you remember, they stripped, I want to say, was it Roger Taylor? Hmm. It was 13-12. They got the ball back, hit the field hole, 115-13. So when they got to that point against the Bills, they were getting seven. I didn't have a, a dog in the hunt, okay? Because right. <laughs> I was a winner. I was in the clubhouse. I didn't care. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that I felt was, bad for Norwood. That's kind of the, you know, you, you just think, and you got to remember, let's, let's, what is that? 1991. 90, so wasn't it the 90 season? Yes. So we're talking 33 years ago for younger fans. Today we see kickers 58, 60 yards back 33 years ago, 48, 49 yard field goal was a 55, 60% proposition. Sure. It wasn't a chip shot. Yeah, sure. 33 years ago. It was a good kick, you know. Right, right. But I mean, look, he ended up missing it. That's why you felt for Buffalo Bills fans this year when, you know, a, a missed kick uh, by yeah. Tyler Bird um, did him in. You know, there's fans in that stands that lived through that, that probably had to go through that again. My best Super Bowl moment is the Montana two-minute drive to beat the Cincinnati Bengals. That oh, Super, yeah. yeah, that Super Bowl happened down here in Miami when you know I was I'm you know living here at the time 
And there's just something about having the Super Bowl in your town. Emil, that's not something you're probably ever going to experience oh. um, unless you change your address. But it's just <laughs> something about having the Super Bowls down here in Miami. And it was a big thing. It's the 49ers. They were the hot team of the 80s. And it looked like, man, the Cincinnati Bengals were somehow going to knock them off. But when the 49ers got the ball with the amount of time, I don't remember the exact amount of time, but obviously this is going to be the last drive. Minute 50 something. Yeah, the the last hurrah. There was just a feeling like they're probably they're going to pull this thing off. Well, if you remember that game, and I, you, you, I don't remember. Usually, my memory's pretty good. Uh, the Bengals had a big kick return in that game. They did. Uh, Stanford Jennings, by the way. Yes. So, 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 so they got they got some big special teams plays, and you know they they, they had a lead. I, what was it? Was it sixteen thirteen? Were they or were they yes. up four? Yeah, I think the final sixteen thirteen because a, a field goal would have tied it. I think. Right. And we had never had, I don't think, overtime at that point in a yeah. Super Bowl. So the the story on that goes, if you remember, Montana gets in the huddle. And we talked about nerves, right? We talked about right. how he gets in the huddle. The crowd's going crazy. There's a minute 50 left. I don't know if they have one timeout in their pocket. And he looks over to one of his offensive linemen. He goes, look over there. The guy's like, what are you talking about? Look. That's John Candy sitting in the first row. Right. And for those who don't know, John Candy at the time was a pretty hot, uh, you know, yeah. comedic actor. Um, yeah. Happened to be in the stands watching the game. And Joe um, was loose enough to go ahead and mention that, hey, John Candy's right there. We're getting ready to go down here and win the Super Bowl. But by the way, guys, yeah. got John Candy there um, taking in some popcorn, watching us get ready to do this. And it was very 49ers. It was it was. Montana to Rice, Montana to Rice, Montana to Craig, Montana to Rice, Montana to Taylor for the game winner. And it just was so poetic and organized. Um, and it, it, since I, they're playing in this game, I don't feel bad going on this tangent. Um, as somebody who had my heart broken by them in the 81 with Dwight Clark, you know, I, I never fancied myself a huge 49er fan for no other reason than Dwight Clark in the 28-27 game. But that offense the 49ers had in the 80, you know, 88, 89, 90, when Joe Montana ran it, it was a pain in the ass. If you were a fan of the other the team. machine, it was. And it was, everything was like, here's the thing. They, they would run slant, slant. So eight, nine yards. And then next thing you know, they throw the ball in the backfield to, to Roger Craig. And, you know, next thing you know, you know, Rathman would take a, a, a when they still use fullbacks, he'd go yes. for five up the middle. And then you'd be getting really bored and they, they, they you know, they'd run a sluggo and Jerry Rice to go 45 yards for a touchdown. Wide <laughs> open, man. It was, listen, I, again, I was a Rams fan. What do you think I went through? Twice a damn year with that nonsense. And um, yeah, I hated him growing up. But it came to a point where I just really had to respect what it was that they did during that era and how they, you know, really went up and down the field and just changed football, really. And, uh, I mean, that offense is still in various forms. You know, there's there's a tree that branched out from that offense. It's still used in various Yeah, West forms. Coast offense. And to, and to be honest, there's probably a good portion of what Kyle Shanahan's doing that's been, you know, brought off of that. His father came off that tree, I believe. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Your best Super Bowl performance. Yeah, this one I struggle with. There's been a few, you know. I mean, first I was going to go to that. You know, I was I was thinking about for a minute. I didn't say this to you that, but nobody knew who he was. Remember Timmy Smith? Absolutely. So and to you know, this day, 
the single yeah. game rushing record. Yeah, I was thinking a little bit about that, and that was the year that the the, the Redskins of '87 absolutely pummeled John Elway's Broncos. But I shied away because anybody who's old enough to remember the Broncos only got to those three Super Bowls because they had John Elway, and the AFC was a lot weaker. They had no business being there, so I kind of was like, eh. The one that sticks in my mind was the Raiders-Redskins game of 1983, and you have to take the context of this. The, those Redskins were Joe Gibbs' Redskins at the beginning of his, his decade-long run from like 82 through 92, where they were a very powerful team, top, top of the league along with the 49ers. And they had won the year before beating your hometown team, the Dolphins. They were looking for a repeat, and that game was a repeat game. Earlier in the year, they, they played a great game in old RFK. Uh, Washington won it 37-35. So the two teams came in. They were powerhouses. The Redskins came in. I think they were 16-2. and Raiders 14-4, and 15-3, something like that. So it was a really good ball game. And my guy from SC goes off, Marcus Allen. And he absolutely had a game. Uh, we looked it up pre-show because we were both like, hey, we knew he had a lot of yards. He had 20 carries for 191 yards. But there was a play in the third quarter, I want to say, mid to late, where he, you know, I, I want to say goes to his right, stops, and just – he just hits it. I mean, he he puts his foot in the ground and cuts it back and goes straight down the center of the field, 70-some yards. And at that point, if you were watching the game, you're like, okay, this is over. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it ended up being 38-9. Yeah. Uh, for the football heads out there, name of the play is 17 Bob Treo. It was a toss to Marcus Allen going to the left. I forget who popped out on it. He was like, oh boy, this is going to be a bad idea. And he reversed feel in the backfield. This is probably not something that would work in this day and age, given the, the way defenders move. Yeah. He was probably going to reverse it all the way back to the other side of the field and had the good sense to say, hey, there's an opening here in the middle. Busted up, ran through there, outran the whole um, defense for the Redskins, uh, a, a defense. I'd have to go back and really think about what happened. Daryl Green played on that. Team. And had Daryl Green in there, but the Raiders also had Cliff Branch who showed up at the, uh, towards the end of the run to like, Hey, you know, well, you know, my guy, we've done shows where we have some fun ranking different positions and running backs always one. And, and Marcus Allen is a guy that uh, a lot of fans, I want to say forget about him. Well, you kind of would, you know, as you go on, because yeah, but Marcus like, Allen, people forget how good of an all-around back Marcus Allen was. I mean, he he got remember Al Davis and him had that falling out when Al Davis brought Bo Jackson in. So Al Al spited him and put him on ice for two or three years and really yeah. ruined some of his. He still had great numbers, but really took something Happened off of his his yeah, his totals. Yeah. But Marcus Allen was came to USC as a fullback. He blocked for Charlie White when Charlie White won the Heisman. Moved to tailback, won the Heisman. I mean, he could catch Probably it out of the back. Open people's eyes and paved the way for the Roger Craigs, um, for the Ladanian Tomlinsons, for the Marshall Falks, where you said, hey, not only can a guy be a pain in the ass if we turn around and hand the ball to him, but we could swing him out of the backfield against a linebacker and he could be equally as terrible to them as well. And he probably was the one who really, you know, paved the way. And he could throw the ball. Do you remember that? Yes, he, a, he was a good thrower. They they run that play where they pitch it, and he'd start like he was going to go, and he'd stop. But I mean, he wasn't just like poking and hoping. He threw yeah. a beautiful spiral. He was a guy from San Diego that played a bunch yeah. of positions in high school and all that good stuff. So yes, Marcus Allen, 
20 rushes, 191 yards, two touchdowns. That second one, 74 yards on 17 Bob Treo. My best Super Bowl performance, Emil, and there have been several, but um, I, I came pretty close to saying to Timmy Smith, like, who the hell is this guy? This, yeah. this guy could have yeah. probably delivered a package to my house the year before, and here he is running for a, a you know Super Bowl record, 204 yards, and I think a couple, two or three touchdowns in a game or something like that. Um, was his teammate, the guy who won the MVP in that game, Doug Williams. And oh, yeah. 18 of 29 for 340 yards, four touchdowns. And for folks who care about this stuff, a 129.9 quarterback rating. But more than that, it was the significance from a historical standpoint where you had a black quarterback um, start and win a Super Bowl. And it just, I can I can well imagine for a lot of young black kids out there that wanted to play quarterback, that were playing quarterback, that it opened eyes that, hey, we, you know, we could do this, et cetera, et cetera. So more than just the performance, which 340 yards has got to be up there in the top, um, you know, list oh, yeah. and four touchdowns. It was just the significance of him and the excellence of him that day. And one of the biggest stories I remember out of that game or season was Doug Williams getting hurt on a play. And, you know, he'd gone through so much hell um, just getting the spot because it was him and Jay Schrader. And he was, he did remember a time where Jay Schrader got hurt in a game and he was pretty hurt. And so Doug Williams was told to go in a game and he's halfway out. And Jay Schrader put his hand up and Williams had to, you know, yeah. do the whole, had to turn around and go back. And so there was a play in a Super Bowl game where he got twisted up. And he said his knee was like, like unbelievable pain. And he saw Schrader on the sidelines, putting the helmet on. <laughs> he gave him the wave off. Hold on, buddy. I got a couple more yards to throw in some touchdowns. And yeah, um, another a side note to this is my cousin who lived in Washington, D.C., big Washington fan. So going into the game, a part of me was like, man, I don't want to sit here because I was watching the game with him and my uncle. Mm -hmm. I was going off all night long just talking about the Washington Redskins who you know I'm a Ram fan I don't want to hear this crap but somewhere at some point in the game I started to get a lot of respect for what was taking place happening and it was crazy for me to be that age because I must have been 15 at the time yeah it had to be it was it was the 87 season yeah, to just get an idea of the actual historic relevance. And people forget Doug Williams came into the league out of Grambling. He he started with the Buccaneers. With Got the, them to that nine to nothing conference. Correct. People forget the Buccaneers were were an expansion Terrible. team in this. I want to say the seventy seven season. Yes. Two or three years in, they were. In Are you a guy that can predict the future, or may have a mean poker face? How about a love for horses, or you just know who's going to win the game? Don't just be a profit, make a profit. And you can do that when you open an account at Bovada Sportsbook and Casino today. Whether it's getting down on the gridiron action, wiping out the dealer in a card game, making some change on the race of the ponies, or cashing in on celebrity events, Bovada Casino is the place for you to draw your line. Since 2011, Bovada has been a leader in the online casino industry, spearheaded by their top-of-the-line customer service, easy deposit, secure payouts, and great welcome bonuses. Head over to Bovada now to see what they're offering you to come in and scratch that itch you're having. Click on the link in the description and tell them the Gridiron Stud Show sent you.
in the NFC Championship game. He was the quarterback. My guy, John McKay, was the coach. And there was never a better quote for fans out there. You need to go look up John McKay quotes. Right. When the Buccaneers were 0-14 their first season in the league, uh, at one point during the season, they had no wins, right? Because they didn't win any all year. Uh, they asked John McKay, what do you think? What do you think about your team's execution? He said, I'm all for it. Yeah, I'm in favor of it. <laughs> yes, I'm very John McKay. Yes. And um, listen, uh, uh, an entire nation agreed. All right. I got one last one for you that I didn't prepare you from okay. ahead of time. And that is your favorite Super Bowl commercial of all time. If you need time to think, I'll hit you with mine. Go ahead. You know, obviously there was the uh, the Apple commercial that they had, an IBM commercial. There's been a ton of great ones. But for me, this was a Bud Light commercial where the guys called each other. And when they answered the phone, it was, was that, was that, no, uh -oh. that was, uh -oh. that, that oh, was yeah. You know what, I have to, I'll have to go with you on that because people our age, I, every once in a while, you'll get someone who will pull that out. Yes, you'll call what I'll do. What's up? Yeah, what's up? I still do that every now and then. I think what I'll, we'll do here, Emil, is I'm going to go ahead and put a link to that commercial, which is obviously on YouTube, in oh, the yeah. description for this show. So folks that want to see that commercial, um, whether you saw it originally and you want some nostalgia or you're a young guy that's never seen it, it's. I think if you voted, it would probably, probably be... Um, have a good chance of being the best Super Bowl. I mean, I got to tell you, I was talking to a guy this week who's a 49er fan, and we were kidding around. He's younger than me. He said, he usually said, I usually have people, you know, I know his father. He said, I usually have people over my house, but I told everybody, stay away from me. I'll be in the basement watching the game. And I said, I got to be honest with you. If if the Cowboys were in the game, I'd be the same way. I, said, I don't want to be distracted. No. Like, when you're at a game, a Super Bowl, and it's not your team, even if you love ball, you're still, it's an event, you know, you get something to eat, you're having a drink, you're watching commercials, you're, you're talking and yeah, you're watching the game, but if it's your team, get away from me. Yeah, man. I don't, <laughs> I don't want the silly questions. I don't want the aunt with the no. macaroni pie standing in front of TV or wanting to know where to put the dip down at. Yeah. And I miss a 35 yard touchdown pass or something like that. So I totally feel you and your friend on that. So, um, yeah, I don't have that. Issue. I don't know. I think to some, I get it. That's a holiday. You know, it is. And fortunately I'll be flying home that day, hopefully landing about two 30. So I'll be home fine in time, which kills my day, which I love because yeah, me, you don't want the weight in the building. No, it's yeah. like, we're going to, we're going to listen to a bunch of guys talk about all 19 games that each team played this year. I mean, come on. Exactly. Exactly. They got to fill that airtime. So yeah, kudos to you. Yeah. Figure out something to do with my Sunday morning and early afternoon leading up to the game. But speaking of the game, that's what we came here for. So Emil and I are going to get into this and talk about it and uh, come up with a winner for you of this game. Well, you know what, since, since we're at the end, which is hard to believe, you know, we started this every year we say this, we started this journey mid-August, you know, so what, four and a half, we're five and a half, six months almost. Yes. So we made all- Before you jump into our actual handicapping numbers, I want to say, and you maybe your memory serves better than mine, I want to say this is the first time in maybe three, four years that neither one of the teams that we picked to get into the Super Bowl made it. No, we we, we each took we each took the Cowboys out of the NFC 
you were closer in the AFC in that you had the Bills. My team didn't even make the tournament. I had the Bengals and once – you well, know, yeah, I mean, injuries, that's a part of this thing. But, yeah, I think it's the first time in a while that at least yeah. one of our teams that we picked between you and I have made it to the Super Bowl. So, yeah, I, you know, I, I give the Chiefs, like I said, uh, you know, we get into the game breakdown. We'll talk a little bit about about what I was going to say. I'll, I'll hold that thought um, for the season. College was already in the books. You know, uh, you had a phenomenal college season, 35 and 17. I was 29 and 23, which is usually pretty good, but not not next to that record. The NFL, uh, in the playoffs, you've been four and four so far. I've been three and five overall for the NFL. I'm sitting at 34 and 27 with a tie, and you're sitting at 30 and 30 with two ties. 30 so and 30, baby. <laughs> you crunch all that together. Your record is 65 and 47, couple pushes. So if you if you look at that, you're plus 13 units with the VIG. Hey man, send That's, me hey, send me my portion of your winnings, folks. Correct. Send you and I'm 63 and 50 with a push, so I'm plus eight units with the VIG. So when you combine it, we're 21 units. So yeah, you figure out what your units are, yeah. and that's pretty good. Yeah, you had a good year. One you had a good another. year. Yeah, you so get we, a Cadillac. So anybody complaining about the last couple of weeks, shut up because you shouldn't have spent all your profit from earlier in the year. You shouldn't have went wild betting or you shouldn't have come in late. You should have oh, been right. here. Listen all, listen all year, wild. hang with us. Don't handicap the handicappers. Right. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll, do, we'll do the work for you for free. Yes. So let's talk about this game. You know, this to me is an interesting game in that I've had a perception of the Kansas City Chiefs all season that – Finally, I realized why the second half of the year I wasn't seeing the Chiefs correctly. And I'm going to give credit to Andy Reid. Reid learned something his first time around in Philly. You know, he did some stupid things in NFC Championship games in Philly. And anybody who doesn't remember, they made four straight. Probably the only one where they weren't the better team was they, I think they lost one to the Rams. They lost one to the Panthers. Uh, they lost one at home to the Buccaneers, and that's the Buccaneers were a good team, but everybody figured they're coming up to Philly. It was 10 degrees. So he did some stupid things, and I think he learned from that. Mm -hmm. And this is a guy that, you know, you look at Andy Reid, I think he's been now to 10 conference championship games between Philly and Kansas City. This is his fifth Super Bowl, and he's trying to win his third. And and this Chiefs team, you know, all year I start I focused on their lack of wide receivers, like many people did, because it was evident. But here's where the genius of Andy Reid is. Around Thanksgiving, somewhere in there, the light bulb went on, as Bill Parcells used to say, ask me about my team after Thanksgiving. And I think Andy pivoted and said, listen, I've seen enough. I've got a big enough sample size. I got, I got the best quarterback in the league, probably the best or second best tight end, depending on how you're grading them. I've got a great offensive line. My receivers are generally trash most Sundays. And I, I have a great defense. Mm -hmm. And and that's what I think a lot of us missed this year. The Chiefs were a defense-first football team. They were hard to move the football on, and they were hard to score on. And Andy realized that, and he played to those strengths the back half of the year. And it shows. Look at the playoff scores: twenty-six-seven against Miami. One of the Miami, I think, led the league in points, or their second. Right. Twenty-seven twenty-four against the Bills. A little bit higher scoring, but not forty-two thirty-six that we saw a few years ago in that famous Bills Chiefs game. 
Yes. It's the Ravens 17-10. Andy is playing to the strength of his football team, and that says a lot about him as a coach. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It really yeah. does. That's just that's just a maturity there. Um, that you just really your your roster is your roster. You know, sure, maybe you do something at a trade deadline. But, um, yeah, you're not going to be able to dramatically change your roster. What you can do is really tailor it to what it is that you have and not be so bogged down in, A, your ego or your scheme that you handcuff yourself and just say, well, we just don't have the players. That's never going to fly. That's just not going to fly in this league. And so kudos to Andy Reid for doing that. I mean, we've given, we gave Nick Saban a tremendous amount of credit at the college level for being able to adapt um, not so much to his roster because he always had, you know, the, some of the best players in the country, but to adapt to the time so that you don't have these really great players and then you're falling short because you're just stuck in some old way. So kudos to Andy Reid for that. Um, and you are correct. You know, this this thing was all about offense. And to a certain degree, attention wise, it still is because of who's at quarterback. But the truth of the matter is, is that the defense has carried this team through this season and is a really, really big reason as to why they are where they are right now. So that's that's a you know that's something people are going to yeah. have to adjust themselves to. You're going to have to adjust at least this year, and we'll see what they do in free agency and the draft and everything else. Maybe they become offensive again. But right now, this is a defense first team. Most games, you know, the 49ers come into a game, and most of the time when the 49ers are playing. They have a great roster, but I always feel they have a, a coaching advantage most Sundays. I, I really like Kyle Shanahan. Mm -hmm. You know, there's certain guys I put up there, like I think McVay from the Rams is excellent. I, th I think he had a great year this year uh, with what we thought the Rams were going to do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, and even though it didn't look like it last Sunday, I really think a lot of John, John Harbaugh in Baltimore, okay? But this is one game where I feel, you know, in most games, I think the 49ers, I, I kind of give them three points in most games because of the coaching matchup. Hmm. That's not the case in this game. This is a game where, you know, if anything, just because of experience, I might even give it to Reed. Um, yeah, uh, you would have to. And large in large part because of what we talked about with 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 Andy Reed there. And he does have the advantage of having done the thing win the super bowl um and one of those was against this very guy that he's going to be coaching against so you do have to give that to him spitting out some numbers here amol and this is probably lead up to something that i'm going to say here but offensively this year the ranks 49ers second overall in yards per game with 398 per game the chiefs ninth in yards per game with 351 points per game 49ers third overall 28.9 points per game chiefs 15th overall, 21.8 points per game. Um, and then we talk about the defenses, which they're pretty, they're, they're closer there with the mm -hmm. 49ers being eighth overall with 304 yards allowed per game with the Chiefs being second, 290 yards per game. And then points allowed, they're second and third. Uh, Chiefs second, 17.3. And then the 49ers third at 17.5. One of the big, uh, you know, remarks that you made and things that you pointed out in uh, the the pre the pre show as we were getting prepared for this thing was uh, the Chiefs being minus eleven in in turnovers this year putting them 29th in the mm -hmm. NFL this year amongst thirty two teams and the 49ers being plus ten ranked third in turnovers and so that has a lot to do with 
their inability to probably blow out some teams and then maybe some yeah. losses that they had. This I year. mean, that didn't, and that's you said you made a good point, but that hasn't happened in the playoffs. No, um, that has not been the play. The playoff Chiefs and the regular season Chiefs are literally two different people, very much Jekyll and Hyde. Um, so, you know, maybe there was just a, eh, we're going to just get our Have way. you seen anything in what you've watched with the games, just without even watching the All-22? Just The one thing I've noticed, especially the back half of the season, I think where it really stuck out for me where I started to say this could be a problem, I saw the Cardinals run for over 200 yards against the 49ers in a late season game. Mm-hmm. And the 49ers might have won by 12. I forget the margin. It was. It, but it, you can't in a season cast away those things because they come back. Right. And that's what I, what's happening. What do you see with their defense? Because it's all of a sudden become, and again, their numbers are skewed. Cause if you go look at a trend on the 49er defense, mm. their defense was extremely good. The first 10 games of the season. I mean, I want to say they were allowing under 250 yards a game. Yes. So for them to end up giving up 304, which isn't a lot in today's league, that means they probably spent the back end of the season giving up 350 and above every game. They're, they they got very leaky, especially on run defense. So why? I would have to go back and really look at maybe some of the things that they did in previous years under D'Amico Ryans and Robert Sala. I think that would probably be a good – you know what? We were talking about what I'm going to do with my Sunday lead. Maybe, maybe I'll do that. What I have, what I am noticing, and the reason I need to look at years before is, have they always done this? But what I'm noticing this year is there's just an over-reliance on having four down linemen. Um, and so they never really change out of that shape. And, and, and football is a game of numbers. And you're five against someone's four, you're going to always have an advantage there. And the 49ers rarely ever change out of that. They rarely ever give you any five-man looks. Um, they're not really big on blitzing because they believe in the play of their linebackers just, you know, in a, in a static sense. And so there may be an over-reliance on personnel there. Remember how we talked about Andy Reid, you know, being a little, you know, um, adapt. He will adapt and maybe there's some innovation. I'm not really seeing that in the 49ers defense. And maybe those guys there are getting a little older. Maybe people are a little bit better at attacking their four-man front, but they stay in it quite a bit. And they weren't willing to live and die by it. And you're just going to have more running lanes on the end. See, I've lived with this problem last couple of years as a Cowboy fan. And it's a real problem. And and I'm old school and I still believe this. First thing in defense, you got to stop the run. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care how much of a passing league this is. Mm -hmm. If, If teams can run on you, everything else is, their whole playbook is wide open. So for me, I don't care what anybody tells me. If I if I was building a defense, damn it, the first thing we're going to do is stop the run. I'll worry about everything else after that. Yeah, um, that still remains true, man. Even in this pass happy league where you know um, the the rules and and just the the play of the quarterbacks and receivers would suggest that that's a bigger part of the game. It really just boils down to what's happening up front. It's still very much a line of scrimmage game, and so for something for our football heads to watch in this is just the lack of um, creativity and for lack of a better term up front by the 49ers, you, you get four down linemen and they rush their lane. So, you know, from a coaching standpoint, you're either, if you're having an issue stopping uh, the rush with four down linemen, you go to five, right? It does open up some things in your back end, but you've got, you've got a good secondary if you're the 49ers, maybe, 
if you're uh, Steve Wilkes, who's the new DC, and you don't feel like you're a good team when you go to a five-man front, you say to yourself, well, we got to do something. Maybe we stunt our linemen more. He's just not willing to do that. And I'm not trying to put this all on one guy. He's just not been willing to do it. I, I just, I and it's, just, it's just not, it's just not the Cardinals, Emil. Uh, the Packers went in there and ran the football. Yeah. The Lions came in there and ran the football um, seemingly at will, or at least early on in the game. And so that's an issue. I just think that, you know, you, when you, when you sit there as a fan, I have to imagine if, the, if it's as a fan, you feel like this as a player, it's got to be 10 times, a hundred times this, to me, it's emotionally disturbing when the other team can just run on you. It's it's being bullied, like being held yeah. by someone at you know at lunchtime, and they won't let you get up, and they take your sandwich. It's what it feels like. Yeah, it feels you- like there's more fixes. Like if your pass defense is leaky, it feels to me like there's ways you can scheme around that. Maybe, maybe get a blitz in there. Something yeah. happens. Ball pops up. Yeah, we'll try to get a negative play and then play some softer coverage behind it and, and tackle before the sticks and get a punt. But when a team can just get four or six yards on first down, well, and yeah, then and then, next, and then you got to do something wild. Yeah, to stop it. And then you know if they've got a good OC on the other side, that's when he hits you for the really big play, and then now you're in trouble because a team that can run like that that gets a lead on you will shorten the game on you. So that's an issue for them. However, as we ran through these numbers here, and I mm-hmm. can see these numbers, it might because I know this is a big part of what Vegas does and odds makers do. It might for us out there lend some insight into why the 49ers are favorites in this game. Outside of that, though, I think this might be one of the biggest. And then, you know, I guess from me saying this, people are going to get an idea of where I'm going with this um, in terms of who I think is going to win this game. This might be one of the biggest pump fakes. Um, in, in well, I think Vegas is very numbers driven, not just I mean, that's obvious, but I think any more this. It seems like the younger guys setting spreads are very much into point differentials. Mm -hmm. Um, run differentials in baseball, you know, so that, you know, they don't take the nuance of the game into consideration as much. And when you look data driven, the Ravens, Cowboys and 49ers led the league in point differential this year. So I think what, what they forget is, you know, you could go dust a couple teams by 35 or 40 points and you're going to have a huge point differential. It doesn't help you. You can't take those points with you. No. So, no, you know, I, so, I, look, if you're doing that, the 49ers are sitting here with basically a 11 point point differential, like plus 11 in terms of yards, uh, points per game versus what, what four, four and a half. Chiefs are at around four, and maybe that line's down to two because of their, you know, experience or whatever the case may be, but it's very difficult for vegas if you're data driven to say based on these numbers that we have here being spit out of the computer the chiefs are the favorite and i think that's where we get the risk in sports and we've all done this and as you get older you pick up on this stuff if i knew this stuff when i was 25 whoa yeah (laughs) you gotta kind of roll those numbers so what i'm saying is like throw out september and october i'm not saying it doesn't count i'm saying start looking recently Mm-hmm. And that's changed, right? So the 49ers won two three-point playoff games, mm-hmm. close ball games. I, I I think for me, this game, I have a feeling where this game turns 
at some point, I think Purdy's going to make a big mistake. He almost did. He got away with the one he made against the Lions because of the great comeback. He threw he threw that pick there that I think, I think put it at 24-7. I just have a feeling at somewhere in this game, Steve Spagnola dials up one of his blitzes because he loves that. And he he rolls some exotic coverage behind it, gets this kid his this kid's clock off, mm-hmm. and he makes a bad decision or two. And that that's kind of where where my lean is in this game. Like I, I I'm not trying to to crap on the kid. I think I expect the Chiefs to have difficulty moving the ball. I don't think they're just going to run through the 49ers. I think Reed's a good enough coach. He'll get enough running going where he can throw some some stuff to Kelsey and move the football. I don't think they're going to be stopped cold, but I don't think they're going to – I think it'll be closer to what we saw against Baltimore. Yeah. But I do think that Mahomes will not make the mistakes that Purdy will. Um, and I would tend to agree with you. And just woe to Brock Purdy if that indeed happens because he's been battling through this whole – you know, is he for real? Is he is he overrated? Is he a game manager? Da 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 da. Woe to him if that is the case. That's how this thing plays out. I mean, how do we say he's not for real? The guy's been the quarterback two years. He took his team to the NFC Championship game, got hurt, they lost. He's in the Super Bowl. So win or lose, it's hard to say a guy with, with hey, that. If their scenario plays out the way that you have painted it, though, it's going to be a hard offseason for the kid i can just tell you that right well that's just because fans are generally stupid yeah well you know (laughs) i mean i mean listen no matter what happens in this game to me this this guy's had a great season the the numbers tell the numbers and the fact that his team's playing in the super bowl tells me he's had a great season yeah um but i'm with you amel i think that's kind of probably how this thing is going to go i see the chiefs being able to run the football about as equally as well as the 49ers who have the better running back. Let's not kid ourselves. I consider Christian McCaffrey probably the best back in the league right at this moment, but they'll probably be able to run the ball as well. And I just think the chiefs back end matches up fairly well against the 49ers. And so I don't know that there are a lot of gimme throws that are going to be there, especially with the way Spagnola has been calling games in the pre in the, uh, in the postseason the amount of pressure that they're able to bring and force the hand of the quarterback. And yes, Brock Purdy showed you that he can be mobile last week. It's not mobile enough. You know, uh, Lamar Jackson had his issues getting away from the Chiefs. Defense. Well, a lot of the 49ers offense, right, is is predicated on they, they essentially play with like I, I like to kid around and say they play with like three running backs because mm. their two receivers are almost like having running backs. Right. OK, so. I don't think they're going to be able to push the Chiefs around in the run game. I could be wrong. That would change everything if they can. Right. And if they can't, because I think Chris Jones is a real problem for everybody, and he'll be a problem in this game. I don't really see, like you said, a lot of like easy throws here. You know, no, no, there'll be tight windows. There'll be some, you know, hold your breath moments. Uh, We had several of those with Jimmy Garoppolo the last time these two teams met up. So I think it'll be a bunch of that. Here's an interesting thing, though, Emil. Because, you know, you have all this data and you can look at, you know, what happened in the championship games. But I know there's a big mental component and aspect to this. And I'm just looking throughout history. And there have been mm, 
what is this? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Super Bowl team rematches, not actual games, more than that. But there's only been one time where a team that lost the first Super Bowl between the two teams came back and won the rematch. And that was the Redskins defeating the Dolphins in 1982. Right. And that wasn't close enough where you could, if you're just that saying, was 10 years apart, 10 you years. didn't even have the same players teams. I'm going to just run through this real quick. Teams that had Super Bowl rematches where you could say, a, you know, a good portion of the, of the roster was still intact as the teams played each other. Steelers and Cowboys, 75-78. Now, Amos already told you how that has gone. That, yeah, 95 is a whole different era. 95, you can throw that out. I already talked about the Redskins and the Dolphins. 49ers and Bengals, there were still some same actors on both teams. Uh, 49ers won both of those. Uh, Cowboys and Bills, 92-93, literally the same teams. Um, Cowboys were victorious in uh, two blowouts, by the way. Um, Patriots and the Giants, 2007, 2011. Yep. I mean, Giants were underdogs both times, serious yep. underdogs both times. They win. Patriots and Eagles, very far apart, 2005, 2018, not the same. Yeah, I was going to say that's that's different years. Same with the Patriots and the Rams. So we would be in unchartered territory, so to speak, if the 49ers could come in here and pull this off, let alone as favorites, Emil. I think the favorite thing. It's just that little, you know, even if the Chiefs needed a little kick in the ass, this is it. Well, I don't even know if it's the Chiefs. I think it puts pressure internally, the 49. Not that there's not pressure anyway, but not now they're telling you you're supposed to win the Super Bowl. Yeah, like, they, I'm sure they were like, what, why, what? We're just the defending Super Bowl champs. Why are we the favorites? Hey, we don't want that. I on top of, to, on top I of have, we don't want this field we're practicing on. No. We don't want to be favorites. I actually expected this to be flipped. I thought the Chiefs were going to be three. I thought they'd be three, three, three and a half. So obviously for you, for you people, folks out there who aren't into subtleties, Chad and I are both taking the Chiefs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. You know, if it hasn't plus, smacked you in the face by Plus now. two, and I'll tell you something. If 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 I was going to do this, I, w I would just do the money line. And of take, course. Yeah, take I mean, if listen, if, if, if the 49ers um, – end up winning the game 20 to 19 and you did the money line well whatever but i yeah i mean but you I were just the most unlucky guy ever yeah i i actually feel this will be like one of those games where it's tight and then mid, mid to late fourth quarter the chiefs get a, a score whether that be a field goal or a touchdown and I, like they win the game by nine or ten points like for me Mahomes runs around gets a couple of first downs with his feet and annoys people who are you know um, not Chiefs fans. Um, like, I'm feeling a lot of stalled drives for some reason, a lot of field. Like, I'm thinking, like, why I had this score, like, 26-17 sticks in my head. Like, the Chiefs kicked four field goals, two touchdowns, like that kind of deal. Yeah, me? Uh, look, it's funny that you say that. I've got 23-17 in my head, and I, I feel like the game will end on a turnover. Uh, that's just kind yeah. of feel. So, you know, whether it's fumble or something of that nature or Brock Purdy throwing the ball to the wrong guy, which he's done uh, quite a bit over the last three, four weeks, last three, four games. I, I kind of see something like that happening. The Chiefs defense doing what they've done all year and coming up with a big play. And that's and that's the Chiefs. Man, the final thing to address out the door. So listen, the official pick for the two chumps football podcast, Chiefs plus two. Uh, or yeah, right. money, money line if you're feeling dangerous. Money line if you're feeling lucky. 
Yeah. Um, against the 49ers. That's our official pick here on the show for Super Bowl 58. Final thing to address on the way out the door, Amol, which is really probably the biggest issue in this game, is just the whole Taylor Swift thing. Now, listen, I think, Amol, the majority of America, I really think the majority of America doesn't really care. What What do you care about a three, five-second cutaway to someone in the okay. stands? They we cut get, away to Jerry Jones all day. We could, we get cutaways all the time yeah. in football. Um, and for, you know, most of you meatheads out there, if you're watching an SEC football game and they cut away to some, you know, young co-ed with her cleavage uh, up to her chin, <laughs> you guys don't seem to have a problem, but you have a problem with Taylor Swift, a handful of y'all out there. I just think it's those who have a problem with it are getting all the attention uh, media wise. And it's making it seem like it's the entire nation. Emily Lady just won her fourth Grammy. She crushes in terms of attendance to her shows each and every time she does ones. Um, she's a very popular individual. So I have to think the majority of America either is all in favor of her being a part of this whole thing, or they simply just don't care, man. They don't care. I have to be honest. Like, I don't, again, I don't get her music. She obviously knows how to sell and market it because. She's connected with her fans. There's no doubt about yeah. that. There's I, no I don't, I don't, I, and, and I'm not one of these people who hates all music that isn't my music. I right. just, I don't get her music. But that said, she seems nice enough. And frankly, I get pictures of Jerry Jones and his, and his son-in-law cleaning his glasses uh, during games and nobody seems to care. And I definitely don't want to see that. So, I mean, my whole point is I don't think she's doing anything to invite the attention. It's the media yeah, and, and men probably NFL driven to say, hey, we got to get we we need her fans. Yeah, tap in to what it is that she brings. So don't be mad at the Chiefs. Don't be mad at Taylor Swift. She's I, if you she's not sitting there thinking, you know what? I'm not famous enough. If you guys could get more shots of me during my boyfriend's oh. game, I think that'll be great. No, she's not asking for any of this, and she doesn't seem to be a nasty person, evil person. She wouldn't have all of these fans. How many? Was. How many? Over the years, different shots did we get when Brady was married to Giselle Bunsen, where, where she'd be with the kids, absolutely in, in the suite. Yeah, and, and no, nobody said, nobody said, "Oh, damn, there we." Well, some people did because they hate the Patriots, but generally, no one was like, "Oh, damn, they're going to go to the suite again. We have to see this." No, uh, no, I, I'm not going to lie though. I do. Uh, I mean, you're going to hate me for this, <laughs> but I do like shots like Jerry Jones spinning around and like walking out of his seat <laughs> during the lost end. Listen, I get so I was like, damn, he's about I gotta to tell you something. I get so like there's a part of me, I get so mad at the guy mm. that when when they mess up, and, and you know how it gets. Like I'm actually I want it to get worse. Yeah. So so I want to see him cry because I'm like, you're made you're actually making my stomach turn God. watching this as a fan. I want you to cry on national television. Yeah, you want him to dive through the press. He cried after the Packers game. I was like, good for you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know what? I, I I lied. There is one thing I wanted to bring up to you that I forgot. Tell me the reason, as best as you can, why Brock Purdy seems to be, what's, for lack of a better term, less received positively by the masses out there because he was Mr. Irrelevant, I guess, versus a Kurt Warner who was an undrafted guy that went to Super Bowl and won and did all these. What is the difference? Because America is a very statistical numbers-driven country. 
we uh-huh. love, I always said to you, the reason soccer has a, a tough time getting a hold in America and to a degree hockey even, because it's hard, they're hard sports to quantify. Like you, I don't say to you, hey, I was watching the Chelsea Man U game and mm-hmm. you say, oh, how many kicks did that guy have or whatever? You know, it's hard to right. quantify it. You know what right. I mean? Like if you play soccer, people who, are, who know the sport will tell you who's good. It's hard to quantify for the novice because I can't look at a paper and go, oh, okay, he's good. And I think it's the same deal with this. When, you, when you're an undrafted free agent, there's no number attached to you. Hmm. And even though it's weird because it like, means that you weren't picked at all, right? I think in people's heads, like when somebody says, you were picked 254th, it's like, wow, it means 253 guys were picked ahead of him. They don't realize this. He was picked ahead of all the undrafted guys. You think it's as simple as that? That's what it breaks down to. Sort of. And the media also hasn't helped the guy because they keep calling him Mr. Irrelevant. And for some reason, the draft has has grown in popularity in the last 20 years to the point that I think too many fans think it's a science. Hmm. So they don't understand like, yeah, these guys are pretty good at it, but sometimes they're just wrong. I really wonder, Emil, if we get into this game and there are some rough moments there for Brock Purdy. You know, maybe a couple of drives where maybe he does have a couple of drives where turnovers or he starts the game off with three, uh, three and outs or something like that. If any or all of this will start playing in his head because he's been getting bombarded with it. I don't know, because I think to get I think you have to have a pretty strong constitution to come from where he's come from with the expectations of very little to being the starting quarterback on the NFC champions, I think you have to be pretty mentally tough. So I'm not saying it wouldn't bother him, but I also think the guy, the guy's, he's got a good head on his shoulders. I think fans are funny. Like, again, we see this in college football, you know, they can't believe a three stars lighting them up. Well, maybe, maybe the star was wrong. Maybe, maybe they were wrong. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they were wrong. Maybe you missed on this five one. Star, right? yeah, you missed, you missed on this one. Uh, well, that's going to be it. I guess we're going to find out, um, you know, just what Brock Purdy's got for us. I'm with you, win or lose. Guy's done an outstanding job getting the team here. And I would have to think he's the quarterback of the future. But this is a funny league, so you have no idea what's going to happen there. Um, I know if the Chiefs end up winning this game, we're going to have to deal with a whole bunch of is Mahomes the GOAT type of thing. This with him in year seven or eight here that we're making this. Well, I mean, if he wins, it'll be this is his fourth trip. And he'll have three. Yeah. Um, and, and it happened rather fast. It's a small, you know, it's a small and, and maybe after we'll, we'll save this for next week. We'll see what he does. And we'll go through the club of guys who have won three or more Super Bowls. It's a small yeah, and do club. some comparison. He's, you know, obviously. Yeah, it's a very small club. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to really save more of my comments for that time. So that's it, folks. You've uh, had our little trip down Super Bowl memory lane, and um, we've given you our thoughts on how this game is going to go, both from a win-loss and a betting standpoint. So you're all set on that. We didn't do any props this year or any individual player props. It's probably something we're going to have to add to our repertoire down the road for you prize pickers out there and uh, all of you folks that like. Um, I heard that there was a prop where it was – who is going to be shown first, Jason Kelsey, not Travis, Jason Kelsey or Taylor Swift? If you were getting even odds on that, where would you go? 
Well, I got to figure it's early in the game and Kelsey hasn't taken his shirt off and pounded 34 beers yet. So I'm going Taylor. I don't know if I would go. I don't know if I would take that. Right, but that game starts at six thirty. Yeah, he's probably he gonna might be, go he might be a well. case and a half in by six thirty. Yeah, that's an actual prop. Very interesting though. Very <laughs> interesting though. But uh yeah. Anyway, I don't know which way I would go on that one. But that's it for us, folks. We're out of here. The next time you see us, we will have uh, crowned a new Super Bowl champion. Will it be Mr. Irrelevant? Will it be the new GOAT? Uh, we're going to find out um, uh, here on Sunday, and you will know that next time you see us. So that's it for us. We've wrapped up a football season, and uh, now it's time to go get your Tostitos, watch some football Grab your family together unless it's your team playing in it and then you're loaded in the bunker somewhere by yourself. But enjoy that. And so for Emil Calamino, I'm Chad Wilson. Thanks for watching the Two Chumps Football Podcast. Enjoy your Super Bowl Sunday. We'll see you guys next week.